Hey guys, real quick before we jump into today's episode, we recorded this episode totally remotely, so the audio quality isn't exactly where we'd like it to be. We feel strongly that the content is great and you won't be disappointed by the conversation. So we're going to go with it and just be patient with our audio quality this time around. I would say the toughest thing in the beginning and up until probably pretty recently is the constant rejection. I mean, to be in sales, you've got to have, (laughs) you have to have a lot of resilience. I mean, you are being told no by more people than you're being told yes day after day after day. And the emotional ups and downs of, I never want to do this again. That's Danielle Lombardo sharing some of the early lessons she learned in her sales career. She's a master at establishing insurance programs with a specific focus on commercial real estate. She has excelled in her field by taking control of her mindset, which didn't come easy. I'm a stronger person. I can sit in front of a prospect and really not care which way that they go. My only intent now, <laughs> and I, I, uh, now is, is a very important part of this, is to help people, right? I'm genuinely interested in meeting new people and understanding how I can help, if I can help. And there's nothing that gives me greater joy than understanding quickly if they're not the right fit or we're not the right fit for each other and moving on. That's where the strength comes from. For Danielle, The only way to grow in a sales career is to humbly go through the risk and rejection inherent to the job. In this episode, you'll hear how she overcame the mental roadblocks, enabling her to become the elite sales consultant she is today. I'm Kylie Schmitz. I'm Dan Lappin, and this is Breaking Sales, a nonconformist take on rejecting the sales status quo. Join the Lapa 180 team as we break the tried and died sales tactics and techniques that are failing you and your prospects. When I first started in the sales world, it was all about the close. It wasn't about the person. It wasn't about the consultation. It wasn't about the process. It was about getting the buyer. They weren't even a person, right? They were a buyer (laughs) to buy so that I could say I closed a deal. I'm driven by recognition. I'm driven by money as well, but I'm driven by recognition. I wanted to be able to go up to that board and put a little star on there and have everyone see that I just closed a deal. Had nothing to do with the interaction. So my intent early on was all about the close. I was attached to every conversation that I had. Um, And over time, really completely turning what my, my idea of sales was over on its head and making me understand this is not about me and winning. This is about me helping someone think through a change that may or may not need to be made. And so the intent for me is different in that I'm just looking to help. I'm looking to get better at my craft. I'm looking to understand the technical side of what I do more so that I can help people and meet more people in my industry so that I can network together. And then the deals will come. And I have this Uh, almost unwavering knowing that if I do the right thing, I ask the right questions that the deals will come and it almost doesn't matter where it comes from or when. So if I'm a listener right now and I'm listening and I hear, okay, Danielle's talking about asking the right questions. How do I know or how do I determine what the right questions are? When you're being brought into a 
a situation where you're, you're trying to understand if you can help someone. You want to help them think through something just as if you want to help your daughter or your son or your friend think through a potential big change in their business, depending on what you're selling. And if you can come at it from the perspective of being detached from the outcome, that you're not entering into the situation wanting to close the deal, you truly want to understand how and if you can help, then the right questions will come. So questions around how they got to where they are currently are important because you're, you understand how they make decisions, not how they make buying decisions, although that will come with it, but the intent is around how they make decisions so that you can help them think through in, in a better way. There's a psychological aspect to the conversation and an awareness around how people function um, and an alignment with how you need to ask them questions and help them think through something in, in the most efficient manner. No, I like how you talked about it's treating the other human being as if they're um, a friend of yours, where you're going to ask them questions to help them think through and debate something. And in order for you to do that, what had to change? What had to shift? So the one thing that I've developed over the years that's been probably the most helpful is self-awareness. And the awareness that for me, being detached is not easy and having high intent around sales situations, it's not so easy either. And feeling abundant, maybe at this point in my career, I feel a little bit more abundant, but feeling abundant in general, when I've been taught to feel scarce and to want more, right? That's how typical salespeople, you typically are successful because you want more, you want to continue to go, go, go. Um, so for me, it was a lot of fake it till you make it. I used a lot of mantras and still do before, before meetings. So the mantras would include things like act as a third party consultant. So I act as a completely third party consultant that's not looking to get paid by any sale when I'm in the meeting, um, put yourself in their shoes. So there were some mantras around what I wanted my mindset to be within those meetings. And it took some time, right? It's all about repetition and habit and driving that habit to change your behavior and your thinking. And for me, it took some time, probably six months to a year, if not longer, to get into that habit of actually feeling that way. And I still catch myself to this day in certain situations, not necessarily having low intent, but getting really excited over a deal and the prospect of closing it and just wanting to get to that end versus talking the, the potential client through uh, the various aspects of, of what, why they're looking to make a change and how we can help. You mentioned low intent. Can you describe what that is to our listeners? As it relates to what we're talking about today, low intent means you're coming into a, a prospect or a potential client situation where your goal is to close the business. And so as they're talking, you're not really listening. You're thinking about the next sort of sales <laughs> phrase or term you can throw their way to get them to come your way. And it's all about sort of manipulation versus getting the uh, potential client to understand the, the best course of action for them. So it's focusing on what, like, what we want versus, like you said, high intent, focusing on what's best for whoever you're sitting across from. Now, you mentioned something else earlier, third-party consultant. Like My thought process is, when you said that, is that you're envisioning yourself as separate from the, the sales component of the interaction. Can you, can you explain that like a little bit more, how that 
works and what that is for you when you go into a meeting and, and what that would look or sound like to our listeners? So one thing that I bring up often that absolutely shocks potential clients is I ask them the question of, have you tried to fix this with your current provider? And if you haven't, let's think through how that might look. So I'm essentially talking them out of doing business with me before we even start, because what could happen, what likely will happen at the end of the day is that change is hard. And even if they've invested time in thinking through change and how it might impact their business, at the end of the day, we've all had situations where we think we're going to get a deal. And then the easier thing to do is to stay with the current service provider or consultant or whatever, whatever it is that you do from a sales perspective. And you haven't had the conversation up front. So I would much rather have the conversation up front, save my team resources, save the client and me a lot of time um, and, and just get them to the end result quicker. I need to understand every possible avenue that the deal could go wrong up front before investing not only my time, but my team's time and resources. Because when I look at servicing my existing book of business, it's more important to me that my teams are free to work their hardest for our clients versus running around trying to win business that will never be won. Yeah. My gut is for a listener. They're thinking to themselves, oh, I love that question, but I don't know if I can ask that. What if I ask that question like Danielle does and that prospect turns to me and says, yeah, you know what? You're right. We probably haven't done a good enough job going and talking to our current provider. You know, for I think most salespeople, they're going to feel an immense disappointment at that moment in time. So how do you prep yourself for something like that? Oh, it's totally disappointing. It's awesome when you go through it and they're like, no, still don't, still want to move forward. <laughs> That's when it feels the best. But no, it's absolutely, it can be disappointing. But at the end of the day, you're solidifying yourself as a consultant and someone that they can trust. And that's the true differentiator with, you know, it doesn't matter what you're selling. That's the differentiator. Um, so whether they need you now or a year from now or five years from now, hopefully, you know, your listeners are, are in whatever they're doing for the long run and they're setting themselves up for long-term success. So it doesn't matter how they respond. And if you truly are in that detached space, headspace, and you have the right activity coming out of your day to day, it doesn't matter who says yes and who says no and who decides they want to stay with their current provider because you're doing the right thing and you've done enough work on the back end and you have enough activity that you can move on. If and if they say, yeah, we haven't, we haven't had the right conversations, well, you can then help them think through what those right conversations are with their current um, provider or consultant to see if they're the right fit. I'm thinking about you sitting in front of uh, a CFO right now, Danielle, and, and you're having this, this chit chat with him or her. What's going through your mind when you're coaching them um, about what questions they should go ask their current provider? What's going through your head in terms of, you know, anxiety? Do you feel frustration? Do you feel anticipation? Can you talk a little bit about that? I feel an immense sense of connection because I'm doing the right thing. And I feel myself being genuine and helpful 
and abundant and it just feels right. I know that I'm doing and saying the wrong thing in any sales situation when I have the anxiety come up, when there's blood rushing through my body, when, when I have that fight or flight, when I have the adrenaline, I know that I'm back to my boiler room <laughs> mentality. And that's always there. How can you tell when the conversation is valuable and effective from the prospect's point of view? Typically, if they ask questions, right, and the way that they're answering. So as you're asking them questions, if they're engaged and there's a back and forth dialogue versus just one person talking or the other, that generally tells me that they're, they're engaged. Let's, let's talk a little bit about that, right? Because I engage can mean a lot of things to a lot of different people, right? I've been in front of prospects. I know, I'm sure you have where, you know, they take notes. Uh, they ask you some questions, but yet it doesn't really go anywhere. You know, my gut is you're talking about a different type of engagement. Yeah. So it's not the typical questions of, well, what are your capabilities and how would it work if we work together? It's real thinking questions, right? What would be the impact of whatever it is you're selling on their business and helping them think that through both present and long-term. One of my favorite questions to ask is a year from now, what will your relationship look like to have told you that you made the right choice or the right decision? And having them think through that type of conversation versus just the typical pleasantries involved in a, in a sales transaction. So your questions are, if you see that individual across from you working hard on their thinking. You can tell they're putting effort into their thinking and answers. Am I, am, I, am I hearing that right? Yes, absolutely. There's something I've been wanting to ask you because, I mean, I think you actually coined this phrase. Um, I think I even told you I was going to steal it from you at one point, and that was called sales detox. If, if you think about sales detox and you think about someone trying to just start to understand it and get into maybe that skill set and that process. What would be the three or so things that you would say are important to remove yourself from that sale? What would you what would you say those top three things are? I would say meditation. I would say coming up with your own mantras prior to any prospect interaction around your ability to be detached, your ability to have high intent, and your ability to be abundant. And I think the only way to be detached, have abundance, and be high intent is to have enough activity to where you're not connected to every deal that you're working on in a way that you're, you're living or dying by a deal. So I'll ask you a question for fun here. Can you think back on a particular conversation with a prospect? that you first attempted this transition from you know, the traditional immediate gratification sales mindset to more of this advisory peer level mindset. Can you think back on a conversation and what that argument inside your head may have sounded like? Yes, and I, I didn't and shouldn't have trusted myself to have those right conversations. So 
I did not have one conversation. This is now my largest client has been for about five years now. I did not have one conversation without thinking through every response with multiple people. <laughs> and they, as a result, became my biggest client. And, and for me, that the proof was in the pudding. So I saw, okay, well, it worked for this one. So I'm going to have to continue and, and, and try to try to make my mindset as close to the detached high intent and abundant as possible. Did you have those, like those, those competing voices in your head where one might say, Oh, come on, do this. You know, you're very good at what you do. You know, this is what you've always been trained to do. And then the other voice might have said, no, slow it down, calm down. Let's figure out and listen some more. Let's be a little bit more patient. Did you have anything like that happen where you had those two conflicting voices? That second voice, be patient, you got this, was never there. <laughs> so it was always, I always would hear the initial, my initial reaction, which was, you got this, you've been doing this for a while, you've had some success, you know, why change what you're doing? And I knew that when I would hear that voice, that's when I needed to call for help. <laughs> because I couldn't get to that other side of abundance and high intent. And so now when you hear that voice, that kind of wants to draw you back a little bit every now and then to the old school sales. What's the other voice that you now replace it with? It's so interesting that you asked that because it's become so, it's, it's just become part of who I am to the point where I don't, that voice has just become quieter and quieter over time. Um, so it's not as much of a struggle. But for me, it's just being aware enough around the questions that I'm asking and then debriefing, practicing and debriefing after calls um, with team members and with myself to say, to keep myself accountable to, to my process. You've mentioned your process a few times. Is there anything you can share with our listeners about with a little bit more detail of what you mean by your process? I didn't have a process um, before. Before two things happened, I very much was like, I think a typical salesperson in that I flew by the seat of my pants. I was always paying attention to the next shiny object. For me, I wanted to go to a networking event with no plan and just meet people and see where it went. I wanted to make calls whenever I felt like making calls. So for me, I kind of just did things based on how I felt versus having, versus having a process and then accountability. So I went from someone who was self-proclaimed probably pretty flighty when it came to working my day-to-day. -day. And I was always a hard worker. I just wasn't working very smart to building a process around activity. So what does that mean? That means reaching out to cold prospects, networking, and asking for warm referrals and building metrics around that on a weekly basis and, and having someone to hold me accountable to that. And then thinking through those prospect conversations with multiple people to make sure that I was asking the right questions. So I was prepping um, and debriefing in a way that helped me to continue to get better. If you're just starting sales, right? Maybe your first two to, to five years, what are three non-negotiables that you would advise anybody um, who's in sales or getting in sales? Uh, you have to be tenacious. You have to be resilient. And resilient can mean you fall down, like I was talking about earlier, where you feel like you're going to give up, but then the next day you got to come back. 
um, and you have to have measurable activity. Danielle, can you give us three skills or three actions that you need to be deliberate in? What would those three things be? You need to be deliberate in the questions that you're asking. You need to be deliberate in your intent to be transparent. The, the third one is around being deliberate about your process, whatever that process is. You need to get to a point where you're, you're being really honest with yourself about what it's going to take in order to meet your goals. And you're holding yourself accountable on a weekly basis, on a daily basis, that even when you're uncomfortable and you don't want to do something, or there's that next shiny object that's catching your attention, that you just do it anyway. And you just keep grinding away because it's those moments that you grind away that really are, are life-changing in terms of your career and both personally and professionally, if you can get through some of those hard moments um, and just push through. When you think about being a high performer, and I know you've become one of them yourselves and you've been mentored by several of them, what are some of the things that our listeners would value in hearing? Like what makes up a high performer? Like how does someone become a high performer? You have to have a plan, you have to have accountability, and you have to consistently challenge your process. So what does that mean? A year ago, I was working on things that have now become a habit, whether it's the conversations that I'm having or meditation on a daily basis um, or practicing or debriefing after meetings. You need to consistently challenge what you're doing and make sure it's, it continues to be relevant. And having that space in order to be honest with yourself and not have any self-deception around your activity. So what does that mean? Oh, well, I went to a networking event. I, that means I worked, you know, I worked half a day because it was a half a day conference and, and it was great. All right. But well, what did you do at that networking event? How many people did you talk to? What kind of conversations? What kind of planning did you do? What was the follow-up to those conversations? Were you able to send an email to the people that you didn't meet in order to get conversations on, on the books with them to see how and if you can help? So it's expanding everything that you're doing and challenging and testing um, what you're doing, which is not easy, right? Because we all want to think that we're doing the right thing and that we've finally gotten to a place where what we're doing makes sense and it's working and it might, but you have to keep challenging yourself. You know, thinking about someone who's listening right now, you know, they've been somewhat successful in sales, but they're looking to take that next leap in their performance. Is there anything that you might advise them on in terms of helping them start the process for taking that leap? You have to be open and be humble. So for me, and just the way that I'm hardwired is I, I typically, I can be defensive with new concepts and self-protective over what I've built um, or, or what, what my thought process has been for years and, and sort of defend that. But to the extent you can kind of put that aside and be open to listening to something a little bit different and through trial and error, you'll figure out what your, what your balance is there. You know, you said a lot of things that I know that I have felt as well in my career. Danielle, is there anything else you want me to ask you that maybe I didn't ask that you feel that you'd want to share? And when I think about it, I think it all boils down to, to mindset 
And that mindset comes from your ability to be detached and have the high intent and feel abundance. Feeling those things is a lifetime of work, okay? And I don't think we give enough weight to how hard it is to get yourself into a mindset where you really feel that way. Um, and I think it's very hard for most people to feel that way part of the time or even, or especially all of the time. So the work around getting yourself into that mindset, I think is the most important. And then I think the questions, they kind of just come naturally because if you're acting in that capacity, you're truly acting in their best interest and you're going to ask the right questions and you don't have to worry about being scripted or um, saying or doing the wrong thing. It, it just flows. Again, that was Danielle Lombardo, and you can connect with her via LinkedIn. Her last name is spelled L-O-M-B-A-R-D-O. We're going to wrap up the conversation today by sharing another example of some outreach that we've received and our recommendations on how you can change the conversation for better success. I'm going to read this email to you exactly how we received it. Hi, Dan. I know this is a very difficult time for your business. While abrupt adjustments may be necessary to keep your business running, I want to ensure that you are best set up to move forward when the timing allows. If you have 5 to 10 minutes available, I'd love to discuss this more with you. Click here to schedule a call with me and see how I can help your business achieve long-term success. All right, Dan, let's hear your thoughts on this email. Well, there's four things that immediately come to mind. Um, number one, she references difficult time for my business. That's very assumptive on her part. Um, my business actually is doing very well. So I don't know where she's heading with that. So not only is she assumptive, but she's taken a negative point of view regarding my business. Number two, she talks about keeping my business running. Again, same theme, very assumptive. I didn't know I was having a hard time keeping my business running. The third thing is she mentions five to 10 minutes, am I available? That tells me without a doubt right away that I'm in for a sales experience if I talk to her. And the reason why is because you really can't do any exploring, any good Q&A, any discovery, debate, or evaluation of five to 10 minutes. That five to 10 minutes is her telling me how good her company is or putting me through a demo that I'm not ready to sit through. And then lastly, she talks about helping my business achieve long-term success. I don't even know what she does. She doesn't even tell me in any of this what she does. And I have to go to the very bottom to take a look at the name of the company underneath her title. And I'd actually have to go visit that company to figure out what she does. And I'm not going to waste that kind of time. The other thing I noticed, Dan, was a lot of eye language I think three times she mentioned, I would love, I know, I can help. And also, I think the, the calendar link is a little bit lazy. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, on the calendar link, I know that that tends to be a trend right now, but it comes off, as you said, lazy. Um, it's the first time she's ever reached out to me and she's putting a calendar link on there as if I'm going to sign up for some time of hers. And that's not the case. I think calendar links are useful, but not in a first conversation or a first email where you're trying to get that first conversation. 
And as far as the eyes go, yeah, Kylie, I think you hit it spot on. We as human beings are always looking for patterns. We look for patterns in everything that we experience because we're trying to assess the experience. We're trying to forecast what the experience is going to be like. Because when we can forecast the experience, it puts us in a position to maintain control and keep ourselves safe. So it's like a domino effect. The second I know experience is going to be A, I know now I'm in control because I've determined the experience is going to be A. And that keeps me safe because now I can decide, do I want that particular experience? So the I, when you put it in your outreach, whether it's LinkedIn, email, or voicemail, that tells all your prospects that the conversation that they would have with you is going to be about you because you said, I would like to, I would love to, I was hoping to share, or my company does this, my company does that, we're known for. That type of language tells the prospect that they're going to have a sales experience with you. And that's probably why it's so difficult to set appointments via email, voicemail, and LinkedIn. So thinking forward, what's one thing that she could do differently next time? Well, we've mentioned a couple of them. I think she needs to learn how to drop the eyes and not make it about her. Two, remove the assumptiveness about people's business and what the status of people's business is. Another great example of that might be when I see emails where people reference my situation. When I read that, I always think, um, I didn't know I had a situation. So I think less assumptive verbiage is very helpful. And then I liked your point, Kylie, on why would you put in that that link to her calendar? It's very assumptive on someone's part. And then at the end, tell people why you're reaching out. Don't make them guess. Give the two or three specific reasons that you're reaching out and why you thought a conversation might make sense. Reflecting back on the conversation that we had with Danielle today, this particular email doesn't tell me that this person is going to help me. And if you remember from Danielle, her whole methodology and approach is about making sure that that prospect knows that Danielle was there to determine how and if she can help. Big difference here between Danielle's approach and this person's email approach. And, and I think these are easy changes that anybody in their sales outreach can implement right away. Thanks for listening to Breaking Sales. If you want to get engaged with us outside of this podcast, be sure to go to our website, lapin180.com. That's lappin dot com, And there you'll find information on upcoming workshops, different events we're doing throughout the United States, ways to engage with us on social media, as well as a form where you can suggest topics or guests for the podcast. We want to hear from you, so don't be shy. Kylie out. All right. Do we have another episode?